Welcome to Heritage Fellowship's Sermon of the Week. We hope you're encouraged and challenged as we study the Word of God together. As we jump into Matthew chapter 1, again, specifically verses uh, 12 through 16, uh, I want to just correct a few things. Uh, the first 14, there was a mistake in your notes, and it said that... Uh, <clears throat> Nashon's brother was the wife of Aaron. Uh, that would not be good. And so it should have said his sister was the wife of Aaron uh, and not his brother. Uh, also, last week I had an incorrect date. I said on the notes that it was like from around 1010 10, uh, to 538 when uh, the Babylonian captivity, that uh, should have been 598 when the Babylonian uh, captivity, the exile started. So just that correction. Also, if you're doing more study, you're going to discover that a lot of the names appear different. So the names appear different according to uh, Hebrew or whether uh, what version you're reading may have a different uh, translation of the name. Uh, also, there may be a Greek pronunciation or a Greek version of the name. Also, the names were changed. When countries took over Judah, they often changed the names of the leaders and the rulers. So, uh, so you have to sort of dig deep to know that you are studying the same person. <clears throat> and then uh, we ended last week with the life of Jeconiah being taken into captivity into Babylon. And so judgment was falling upon the nation at that time. Uh, but God had spared judgment for hundreds of years through so many wicked kings. And I don't know, if we're just studying the line of Judah after, the, uh, after there was the division. So if we go to that uh, slide with the map on it. So if you can see, Jerusalem is over here. And also Samaria, which was the capital of Israel. And so Israel was defeated by Assyria long before Judah was defeated by Babylon. And so Israel went into captivity in Assyria up above Nineveh. And then Babylon went, uh, Jerusalem, Judah went into captivity in Babylon, which is Iran, Iraq, and that area in our present day time. And so the kingdom was divided. If you look at the history of Israel, Israel, every king in Israel was evil. There was not a righteous king among them. Judah had good kings, bad kings, good kings, bad kings. The majority of them, bad, evil, wicked, not following the will of God. <clears throat> Next slide. Now, I showed you this slide at the beginning of Matthew 1. And it was the... 14, the 14, and the 14. But if you will notice, Jeconiah in the second column at the bottom is also at the top of the first column. So if we take Jeconiah away on that last column, what do we have? We only have 13 generations and not 14. Had anybody caught that? Raise your hand if you had. Okay, a few. 
<clears throat> so, so this is a history lesson this morning, a Bible lesson for you, but there's a lot of depth into it. So we have 14, 14. If you don't put Chuck and I at the top, then we have 13. So why is that? Well, there, there are many theories, but here are two theories. One is about David, that Matthew was so uh, desperate to announce Jesus as the son of King David uh, that he basically uses David twice, and we'll look at that in a moment. Uh, but here's the depth of where Matthew went in using the name David. David in Hebrew is basically three letters. Also Hebrew, the letters have a numerical component. So in David's name, the first letter and the third letter are the number four. The middle letter is the number six. Four plus six plus four is... That's not a trick question. <laughs> four plus six plus four, 14. So Matthew is making a statement about David and about 14 generations three times. Now, if you take the 14, 14 generations and make it sevens, how many sevens do you have? Six. So you have six generations of seven. Are you all following me? Y'all look, you're shaking your head like. Explain it again. So we have 14, 14, 14. Do what? Oh, the fourth, okay. So, so now we have seven, 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 seven. That equals up to the same thing as the three 14s. Seven is what in the scripture? Completion. But we only have six. We have six, and then we, who's the seventh? Seventh is every generation after Jesus. Oh, many got it. So we have seven, 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 seven. But then to get to the next seven, which is perfection of perfection of perfection, is every generation after Jesus, and we all fit in to that, every one of us. Every one of us are special because we are after Jesus. And Jesus came, Scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would be saved. That makes us special. We have the opportunity to believe in Christ. So I'm sharing all that to say Matthew is extremely deliberate in what he's doing uh, in chapter 1 about the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, the next slide. So Josiah, who we talked about last week, and it says that Josiah is the father of, in Scripture, is the father of Jeconiah, who we just talked about. But... In reality, Josiah was the father of Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim. 
So what's the history there? Well, when Josiah died in war, his successor was his son, Jehoahaz, in 609. Jehoahaz only ruled for three months before he was taken into captivity by Egypt because there was war between Egypt and Babylon, and Egypt was ruling Judah at the time pretty much. And so they took him into prison, and so his brother, Jehoiakim, became king. And Jehoiakim ruled for 11 years in Judah, under Egypt, basically. But then Babylon defeated Egypt, so now Babylon is in charge of Judah, and so Babylon is letting Jehoiakim continue to rule and reign, sort of as a king. So he reigns for 11 years. Of all the kings we've ever talked about, Jehoiakim is the absolute worst ever. Horrible. He plundered the people. He persecuted the people. He killed the servants of God. And uh, so his rule was just ruthless. And so eventually, Jehoiakim decides that he's strong enough to rebel against Babylon. And so he tried that, did not go well, and so he ends up uh, getting uh, defeated and then is taken into prison. And so could it be that this person, Jehoiakim, Matthew just decided, I'm leaving that guy out. He's not worth putting in the genealogy of Jesus. So he goes to Jeconiah, which is Jehoiakim's son, and Jeconiah is the grandson of Josiah. It did not break the bloodline, but he did leave a king out who had ruled ruthlessly for 11 years. It was so bad that uh, Jeremiah gave him a prophecy that if you don't repent, Babylon's going to destroy you. And, uh, and Jeremiah went to the people. He went in public and shared all of this information about God's going to judge us if we don't repent and get back to God. Well, Jehoiakim, who was the king at that point, heard about it. So he called uh, people to get Jeremiah to bring what he had written down. He, Jeremiah actually wrote it down, what God had said. And so they read it in front of King Jehoiakim. He took the scroll that Jeremiah had written on, ripped it up, and threw it into the fire. And then he wants Jeremiah to give another word. So Jeremiah gives another word, same word. God's going to destroy you if you don't repent. He didn't like it, so he tears up the scroll, throws it in the fire puts Jeremiah in a mud-filled dungeon. And so Jeremiah is there uh, until Joachim is dead. And so there's so much to learn in all of this as we look at the genealogy. Jehoiakim was defiant against God. He was defiant against God's prophet, and he was going to do what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. And it's like his pride was so great that he could not hear even the word that God was giving him. And so, which was it? 
what happened to the 14th that should be in that line? Should we have put Jehoiakim in there even though he was evil as all evil could be? Or was Matthew still making a statement about David? And David's name is there twice. Well, we'll, we'll look at the end of that in just a moment. But Jeconiah is, after he became king, if you remember from last week, he ruled three months, ten days, taken into captivity into Babylon, and his rule and reign is over. And uh, then you might be wondering, well, who's Zedekiah? Zedekiah is Josiah's brother, who is uh, Jeconiah's uncle. And so when Babylon went in, defeated Jeconiah, took him prison, Babylon put Zedekiah in as this, quote, vassal ruler. And so now he's ruling for a few years. And so Zedekiah was only 21 years old. And so he's under Babylon's control, basically. But then he decides he's going to rebel against Babylon. Didn't go well for him. And he has taken, uh, it's like at this point, Babylon just says, okay, we're done. Full out of salt, we're going in, we're going to level Jerusalem. When that happens, Zedekiah flees through a tunnel, gets to Jericho, but they find him there. They capture all his family, his sons, wives, all his friends who were with him, and they make him watch as they kill everyone. And then after they kill everyone, they uh, jab out his eyes. They uh, cause him to be blind for the rest of his days. And then they take him and imprison him in Babylon. So that's the history of everything that's going on in this period of time. It's not a lovely history at all. So now we're in Babylon. And they're going to be there for 70 years. But I want you to see the mercy of God in that. God withheld judgment for hundreds of years. And yet his mercy only let them stay in captivity for 70 years before they were able to return uh, to Jerusalem and rebuild the city. So God's judgment and God's mercy are seen throughout, Genesis, or th throughout Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> so now let's go to the next slide. So here of the next generations in this chapter. And we'll answer the question about the 14 once we go through these. So, Sheatal means I have asked God. The parents had asked the Lord for a son, and God gave them a son. The son was born before captivity, but grew up in captivity. He's known as the second king or the second exilarch, they call it, in captivity. <clears throat> and so we don't know much about him other than he grew up in captivity. And then the next, Zerubbabel, born in Babylon or born in Babel. And so Zerubbabel is the first, quote, king to be that was born there. And so he was given this name based on where his birth was and based on the fact that they are in captivity. I don't know if you like that name or not, uh, but the name represents what was happening to the nation at that moment. 
and that is that they were in captivity. Now, he was known as the prince of captivity uh, because he was the apparent heir of the throne of Judah. And so I would say to you today, your name is important. Hopefully, hopefully you are named uh, a name that is prophetic and that is godly and that, that speaks of your destiny. This name spoke of his present circumstance. But the people also called him the prince of captivity. And, uh, and they were honoring him as the next possible king of who they were. So wherever you are in your life, wherever you are situated in the name that you have, is it a name that, that God blessed you with? And is it a name that speaks of something of God in your life? You know, I'm, I'm a proponent. If somehow you've got a bad name, change it. It's not wrong to change a name. You can legally do that. I mean, if somebody named you Beelzebub, I'd change my name. Now, I know nobody in here has that name, but I don't know everybody's uh, meaning of your name, but if the meaning of your name is not something that glorifies God and speaks of your personal destiny, I would encourage you maybe to discover what would God call me? What would he want to call me? Get some people to pray with you about your name. Uh, the next About Father of Praise. What a name. Now again, let's begin applying these all to Jesus. Let's apply them to God. God is to be praised. Jesus praised God. And so there is an aspect, if we are in God and if we are in Jesus, we are people of what? We are people of praise. If somehow praise and let me say, if somehow expressive praise is not in your life, then you're missing an aspect of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that you should have. God delights in our praise and honor of who he is. The next name. Eliakim. Wow. That sort of says it all. It's about the resurrection of God. God resurrected Jesus Christ. And whatever situation you're in that is a pit of destruction or a grave that you have dug for yourself even, a pit that you have fallen into because of the trap of the enemy, whatever it is that has brought your life into some place of destruction or, or uh, it's like you don't see how to do life, God is a resurrection God. He will resurrect you, redeem you, restore you uh, back to relationship with him and with other people. So it's so important that we rest in these character qualities of who Jesus is. Jesus is resurrection. And if he is resurrection, that means that there is a power in him to resurrect us out of anything that we are struggling with. It's just we have to get to Jesus. And uh, when we were in, uh, in Kenya, the word the Lord gave me that Sunday morning when we prayed for 
you know, 80 to 100 people in that afternoon service. The word the Lord gave me was, we were like those men who took their friend to see Jesus, to get him healed. And the place was crowded and there was no way to get into the house to get close to Jesus. So they went up on the roof and they cut a hole in the roof and dropped him through the roof to the feet of Jesus. And so I encourage us, be desperate. Be desperate for Jesus. Get to him one way or the other. And so whatever it is that is your struggle in life, Christ is the resurrection out of that struggle. And so our heart in worship, our heart in gathering together corporately is to constantly drop you to Jesus. That, that's the heart of worship. The heart of worship is to take you to Jesus, just like the men took their friend to Jesus. And so worship team, I honor you all and, and just applaud you all because you've come week after week with that heart to take us to Jesus. You pray, you listen to what songs we need to do. And as you do those songs, such as the one we did this morning, it's like, oh my goodness, I've got to teach after that song because it's all about Jesus. And Matthew 1 is all about Jesus. And so we are here this morning to take you where you are, and we are here to set you in front of Jesus so that you can find healing, you can find peace. If you've been robbed of your joy, you can find joy. If you're confused, you don't have to be confused because God has a path for you. He is a God of resurrection. Next, Azor. Well, what is that? What's that about? Helper. Who's the helper? The Holy Spirit. It's like, as I went through these names, it's like, what's next? What's next? And I knew there had to be one that said helper. There just had to be. And so I was delighted when I found it. It's like, yep, there it is. The Holy Spirit is your helper. And if you were trying to do your Christianity without the Holy Spirit engaged with you in that Christianity, you are going to fall far superior than where God wants you. Because it is the Holy Spirit who will teach you, guide you, train you, disciple you, exhort you, encourage you. It is the Holy Spirit that will tell you more about God and more about Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. Jesus even said, you want to know about the Father and me? You've got to know the Holy Spirit. And so let him be your helper. It means that he is alongside. He is right with you. He's by your side. He is walking with you. Holy Spirit is 24-7, seven days a week. If you haven't figured that out, Lord, I, I pray that somehow you would awaken to that reality. The Holy Spirit is alongside 24-7, all the time. He never sleeps. He's never off duty. He's always there to communicate to you the thoughts of God. So last night, uh, I woke up from this dream, and, and all it was was a bird was in our house. And the bird was just frantic and flying crazy. <clears throat> and, uh, and so the way to get a bird out of the house, don't kill it, uh, you know, but lead it to the light. And once it sees the light and you open a door and the light's there, the bird will fly out. And I felt like the Lord just said, some of you are like that bird. You are frantic in your life right now. And you are just banging against walls 
and you don't see the light. But again, we are here when we worship, when we teach, when we minister to one another, when we pray. It is our heart, our desire to open the door so the light shines in and you can go to the light. So go to the light of who Christ is today. Wherever you are again in your life, in your circumstance, Jesus is the path to freedom for you. The next, Zadok, righteous. Jesus is righteous. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. We are to live right lives, holy lives, pure lives. That is what we are called to live because that's who Jesus is. Next, Akim, established or raised up. There was someone last week who was similar to that, that same meaning. God never intended for us to live in that roller coaster ride of life. He never intended for us to somehow uh, vacillate between two opinions. The scripture says there's a narrow road. Get on the narrow road and stay on it. Because that's the best road, that's the best path for you. And so this ancestor of Jesus, he carries the name established or raised up. And so Jesus is the one who raises us up to the level of our destiny that we need to walk in. And so again, we have to embrace all these characteristics. When we say Jesus, we are saying a multitude of things. We have 14, three generations of 14 that say something about Jesus. He is all of those things, and he is to be embraced as all of that. And so I'm praying that our revelation of who Jesus is would increase so that we know that whatever we need, he has the answer for. He is the answer to every issue in your life. We've got to have the revelation of that. The next, Eliud, my God is majestic. He's God. He's majestic. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing. He's everywhere at all times. God knows exactly where you are. And you have the Potential to rest your life in his greatness. You have the potential to rest your very life in the majesty of God. And that's rest. But if you are trying to live your life according to your thoughts, your ways, your ideas, if you're trying to live life within yourself, there's no rest in that. There may be excitement for a season. season. There may be pleasure for a season. There may be things that, wow, that felt really good. But in the end, it it's, will be void. It, it won't have any meaning to it. And so God says, I'm majestic. Just rest in me. That's where you'll find peace, rest, joy. The next. Eliezer. God has helped. God's here to help you. Jesus is here to help you. The Holy Spirit is here to help you. 
That is the heart of the Father. As fathers, when our children are in need, we want to help. When they have an issue, we want to help with whatever problem they're going through. If we as natural fathers feel that way about our children, how much more does God the Father feel that way about us? And yet, so many times we run from the very help that will help. And we find ourselves somehow drifting into oblivion with deception and not what God ever intended for us. But God is a God of help. The next. Nathan means gift. I think we missed and left a T out of that one. There should be two T's. And, uh, but it means a gift. As you can see, I'm not looking at my notes at all this morning. But I do want to read about his name. It means to give in a broad bouquet of senses. From just regular giving or bestowing, but a giving that is transforming. It is a transformational gift. A gift that will change your life. And so, in this, Matthew's saying, in this name, we find that Jesus is the greatest gift to the world. And he is a transforming gift. He will transform you from who you used to be to who you need to be according to his plan for your life. The next, Jacob. So this is the second Jacob in the lineage of Jesus. And it means supplanter. Now we know the first Jacob, God changed his name. Now imagine that. God thought, let's change his name. And he named him Israel, which means prince, means peace of God. And so again, if somehow your name, the meaning of it, you need a different meaning, uh, then pray about it. Seek the Holy Spirit about it. And we don't know about Jacob. Whatever happened. The next is Joseph. Father of Jesus. Now we know it's the biological father of Jesus, but there's a reason Matthew is giving this lineage through Joseph. is to establish that he is of the lineage and of the house of David. It means to add, to increase our do it again. To add to or to bring increase. Or let's do this again. What a name for the Father of Jesus. Because Jesus was about to bring increase to, the, to God's heart for a people. And to bring a people together to honor God. And so Jesus 
is next in line. So let's go to his name. The Lord is salvation. If the worship team would come back. Every name meant something. Every name had a significant meaning to it and the names applied to Jesus. It's an amazing chapter in the Bible that is full of depth of who Christ is. And I'm almost 70 years old, and I missed the depth of this chapter my whole life. I knew it was important. I knew that the women listed in the genealogy was important. And I always knew that it was God's grace on people to let them be in the genealogy of Jesus. But now I know for sure it is God's grace but it is also the reality that this is who Christ is. And that's what I had missed for so many years, that Christ is all of these character traits that we see in these names. So in just a moment, I want us to go back and sing the song we just did. And then I want to go to another song that I heard them doing this morning about what a wonderful name. The goal is to take you to Jesus this morning. I don't have a slide for this, but if you want to jot these down, here are seven points of application. First, Matthew 1 is the true testimony that the Bible, Scripture, is supernatural, divinely inspired. Nobody could have put all these generations together and make it a statement about one person, Jesus. Supernatural. Young people. If you want to hang your life on something, hang it on the Word of God. It is the only supernatural book out there. There is no other religious book in the world that is supernatural, but the Bible is. And if you are hanging your life on something else other than the Word of God and its message to us, at some point, life will not go well for you. And I want it to go well for you. I want all our young people, I want all our children to capture the legacy of who this church is. And that is we are passionate for God we love worship. We love praise. We love one another. We are an hour in the kingdom of God. So the Bible is supernatural. Over 300 prophecies in Scripture about Jesus that came true. But that did not include these prophecies out of Matthew. I've never seen a, a list of the prophecies that included Matthew chapter 1. And it is so prophetic of Jesus. It's supernatural. Number two, real people living real lives with the freedom of choice. God did not create you a robot. 
He did not create you so that you did not have a, uh, a choice. And so every individual has a choice to go for God or to go for themselves. We are given freedom of choice. And so every person in Matthew chapter 1, those that were kings, but the ones really after Josiah were not really kings anymore. And so they didn't hold that title anymore until we get to Jesus who resurrected the title of king. And so we have a freedom of choice. We can either choose to follow God or we can choose to follow our flesh, our pride, our own arrogance. We can choose to follow our own intellect, our own thinking. But the Scripture tells me that His ways, His thinking, His thoughts are above mine. So why would I want to live according to my own intellect? I've got to know the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is communicating to me the very heart, the very thoughts of the Father so that I'm thinking correctly. The ancestors of Jesus, a lot of them made wrong choices. A lot of them were evil. And they walked away from the God who was majestic. The greatest decision you will make in this life, the greatest decision I will make in this life, say that with me, the greatest decision I will make in this life is who? Who? We all have a decision to make. And the greatest one is who? Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to allow to influence your life? Who are you going to walk with? Who? You know the old movie, Horton, Here's a Who? Well, who are you hearing? Where is your ear turned? Where is your heart turned? Where are your eyes turned? There is a who called Jesus who wants your undivided attention. He is the who that you should go after. It might be that you are the who that's in charge of your life. It might be that you're the one defining what your life looks like. Or you're letting somebody else define it for you. But I'm saying to you this morning, the greatest who, whoever was, was Jesus. And He loves you. He has a plan for you. But you have got to be desperate. For Jesus. You've got to be willing to abandon everything else and make a beeline to Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus. If you fix it on anything else, that anything else, that other who, might just become an idol in your life. 
And then like the evil kings of Judah, you're on a path to destruction. So who is giving direction to your life? Number three, what's in a name? We talked about that. And just because these people were given a name that was a name given by God to them, their parents were inspired, even though they were evil parents, some of them, they were still inspired by the Holy Spirit to give their child a name that fit the character of Jesus. That is absolutely amazing. And even though they had been given a name that pertained to the character of Jesus and that name was to be their character, and it was to be their destiny, but they rebelled against it. They rebelled against God, did their own thing with their own way, became wicked, evil, immoral, prideful, desecrating the temple of God, and eventually they were judged. What's in a name? The thing that's in a name is you who you're to become. Number four, God is slow to anger, or God is slow to judgment. But wow, he abounds in great mercy. And so, if you're here this morning, and your life is out of whack, somehow your life is spiraling out of control, somehow your thoughts are going places they shouldn't go, in your life, if you're here this morning, and there is turmoil inside of you, we know a Jesus that can fix that, a Jesus that can help that. And we want to drop you to Jesus this morning. We want you just to come to him because he has resurrection life for you. Number five, God's view of women. It's interesting that Matthew brings to light four women in the life of the ancestry of Jesus. Tamar, who seduced her father-in-law to have a child. The child became known as Judah. Rahab the harlot. Ruth, who was a Moabite, Gentile. And then Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, as the Scripture says. We don't know if she was Gentile or not, but she married a Hittite. There's something in all of that that God just says, women are valuable to the kingdom. Women are valuable to the body of Christ. They hold a revered place. And so Matthew took some of the Most ungodly, he didn't go. He didn't mention the godly people out of the generations. He gave us the four that, like, why would you include those four? We're a little embarrassed about them. But I tell you, resurrection happened. Resurrection happened. Jesus is resurrection. Number six. We learned all of this from the generations in Matthew chapter one. Reasons people miss their destiny. So here's a list. Reasons all these kings, all these people in the genealogy of Jesus miss their destiny. Pride, arrogance, 
immorality, wrong relationships, covenants, alliances with the wrong people. Who your friends are matters. And that's not to say we are not friends with people who are sinners. Jesus ate with sinners and publicans. That was not Republicans. <laughs> Jesus ate with sinners and publicans. So we are to be out there touching the lives of people who need Jesus. But at the same time, we don't open ourselves up for them to carry influence in our life. We are the influencers, or we should be the influencers with the love of Christ in us. So who are your friends? There was idolatry. First commandment, have no other gods before you. Don't have any other gods. Now, I could stand here for an hour and list other gods that could be a part of your life. But you know Deep down in your heart, is there something that you are giving more attention to than your relationship with God? Idolatry. They dishonored the temple. In the Old Testament, there was a protocol to how to be in the temple, at the temple, and serving in the temple. And some of the kings dishonored that protocol. Basically, what was happening is that God had a holy temple, a holy structure, and they were defaming the holiness of God. We now, our bodies are temples of the living God, and we have a responsibility to maintain holiness and purity within our temple. Now, if you're sitting there and it's like, man, I have not done that, I have so missed the holiness of God. I've so missed the purity of the Father, the purity of Christ. Well, there's resurrection. God will make it as though it weren't. It's supernatural what God does with our past. That he heals, delivers, sets free, redeems. And then there was the ignoring of God's word. For many, many years, the nation ignored the law and the Word of God. That's why people miss their destiny. It's the same reason today we miss our destiny. And then number seven, Matthew chapter one, is about the humanity, the humanness, and the divinity of Jesus. He's both. Because he has a genealogy, he's human. Because he's the son of David, he's divine. David was king, but Jesus is the king of kings. Jesus is the son of Abraham, the father, the patriarch of a nation. Jesus is the patriarch of a kingdom. Amazing prophetic edge of Scripture. Jesus has become the patriarch of a nation. 
a royal priest, a holy nation, a kingdom set apart for good works, for good living, for righteous living. And Jesus is the son of David, the greatest of kings. David was king, but Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophetic name and that prophetic king. If you will look in Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. We are now back to the original question. Verse 17. So, say that with me. So, after reading all these names, after reading the generation, the genealogy of Jesus, so all the generations from Abraham to who? To David were 14 generations. And from who? David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations. And then from the exile to Babylon until Christ, 14 generations. I tend to lean towards Scripture, and it tells me that David is listed twice. David is a prophetic statement of Jesus. He is listed in the first generation, the first 14, and he begins, he ends the first 14, and he begins the second 14. David was king of kings. But that's simply prophetic of Jesus, who is. King of kings. Matthew chapter 1. It is so full of Jesus. It is saturated with Jesus. And we have looked at that scripture for many years and we did not see Jesus. We just saw his ancestors. And we thought, how nice of Matthew to start with that. It probably has to do with something about Jesus. But almost, well, every verse has something to do with Jesus. And our heart, as we gather, week after week, Sunday after Sunday, our heart, is to take you to this Jesus in Matthew. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Please join us online at heritagefellowship.us or in person in Jefferson City, Tennessee as we encounter God, touch lives, and impact nations.